Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Good morning. Hey. I hope you're well this morning. It is a privilege to be among you. It's also a privilege to be able to share from the word. Um, Today we are going to be reading from or looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. I'm going to invite my wife to come and read. Yes. The word of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes round to the north. Round and round goes the wind, and on its circuit the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, for the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow again. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear with hearing. But what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. Therefore, sorry, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of the later things yet to be among those who come after. Thank you. I love your reading. <laughs> so I was really sad to hear of the death of Robin Williams. Um, particularly so because it was a suicide. I'm always perturbed by suicides, um, as I'm sure most of us are. Um, and, but it didn't really fit... You know, it doesn't, it doesn't ever make sense. But in this case in particular, I think it didn't really fit. I think it didn't really fit with the public perception of who he is. You know, he's famed for making people laugh. He's really zany, upbeat. You know, he seemed like he's always having a good time in life. You know, and that struck me. Um, but it also didn't fit because of all his achievements. You know, Robin Williams is someone who, in his field, he's elite. You know, it's not just so-so success, he's elite. He's won an Oscar, otherwise known as an Academy Award. Once you do that, your, your fame goes through the roof, your bankability goes through the roof. 
So he would be known in every film after he won the Oscar as Academy Award winner Robin Williams. He won this Oscar for Goodwill Hunting, and if you've seen the film, you know that his performance was excellent. At the time of his death, it was revealed that he was in the early stages of Parkinson's. Um, and I think he, he sensed the futility of his life. He sensed the, um, I guess, the meaninglessness of all the things he'd achieved with respect to Parkinson's. Now, even still, we say things like he had a young child, maybe about three or four. He had a wife. He had other children who doted on him. He had so much to see and to live for. You know, and then he chooses suicide. The weariness of life had worn him down. And even in death, futility had the last laugh because if he believes, as atheists do, that there's nothing after death, then the peace that he's hoping to experience, the end of pain that he's hoping to experience, is not logically possible because there's no him to experience it. Or if we hold, as Christians do, that those who are not in Christ have eternal punishment after this life, need I say more? Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, the son of David, king over Israel in Jerusalem. Now, he was a distinct man and he had achievements and wealth beyond that of Robin Williams or indeed anyone. He was famed for his wisdom. In fact, his wisdom was given by God. And I say this because it shows us that he's someone who's uniquely qualified to talk about the things he's going to talk about, life in general, us in relation to a life lived on earth, lived under sin, the futility of life. In verse 2, he talks about vanity, talks about the futility of life. In verse 3, he talks about the fact that we can't get any satisfaction. From verses 4 to 7, he talks about the paradoxical nature of order or routine. And then from 8 to 11, he explains how the world wearies. So, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, as I've said already, he was a king, and as I've said, he has all of these experiences. And so we're to take him um, in this sense. In verse 12, he says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. In verse 16, it says, I said in my heart, 
I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. So everything that comes after this is to be taken in that context. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Straight from the outset, it's very conclusive. Whatever this word vanity is, or whatever it refers to, we see it five times. We, say, we see it laid upon itself. We see it heaped up. Vanity of vanities. Now, vanity, or rather the word that refers to it, the word that lies behind it, is a Hebrew word. And literally, it's talking about a mist or a vapour. So when you come out of your house and you get in your car, you get on a bus, you're going somewhere and it's foggy and you can't see three feet in front of your face. That's mist or vapour that it's referring to. Or when you make a hot mug of tea and you see the, um, the vapour come off it. Concretely, it's referring to that. But also, it's used figuratively to mean something that's elusive or fleeting. <clears throat> And, and so, later on, Solomon will talk about catching the wind. He uses that illustration. And what he's saying here is that everything in life, all is vanity. Everything that you can think of, all areas of life, are vain. They're elusive and fleeting. And people will translate this word often as meaningless, but because things are elusive, and fleeting. So, to use Solomon's illustration, if you saw me jogging in the park, you might be like, oh, okay, Ben's trying to lose some weight after the wedding, lose some of that wedding fat. But then, if you saw me kind of grasping as I ran along, like, you might say, oh, hey, Ben, um, how are you? Um, oh, yeah, I'm okay. Okay, so I see you're, um, you're jogging. What, what are you doing there? And I'll be like, oh, you know, I'm trying to catch the wind. Hmm. At that point, you might be like, oh, I'll see you later, I've got something to do. Um, and you would recognise that what I'm doing is foolish, it's futile. I can't catch the wind. More so, it's meaningless, it's purposeless. What am I doing? Well, I can't stress strongly enough that this is what Solomon is talking about when he's referring to all of life. There's no aspect of life that it doesn't touch. So it may not be necessarily intensive, so it may not be, oh, everything is meaningless, but it's extensive because it reaches everything. So, for example, by way of example, it may be your relationship with your parents or your children or your spouse, it may be work, it may be anything to which you can refer. All is vanity. And I think we feel this, you know, in life. It's something that we recognise, something that resonates with us. It's an issue. And there's a reason for this. And if you turn to Romans 8, verse 20... We will explore that. When you're there, say amen. 
caught hit. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> Romans 8, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. So we have it, futility, corresponding to vanity. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. So there's a problem. Creation has been subjected to futility. Who has subjected it? God. Now why would God subject creation to futility? Ultimately, the reason we have this problem is us. Adam and Eve, our forebears, rebelled against God. And at the time that they rebelled against God, God subjected creation to futility. So they disobeyed God. And what happened was that he sentenced them to death. He sentenced all of us to death. And the, the problem is two-tier, I suppose, in that we, we die physically and all the implications of that are with us. So sickness, disease, frailty, those limitations. But we die spiritually as well. God's presence, his immediate presence was removed from human beings. So connectivity... We're disconnected from God. We're disconnected from each other. And these things bring problems. Verse 3, it says, What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And again, Solomon is highlighting actually that we're human. There's a very real problem of death. You know, there's a very real problem of death. If you are someone who takes pride in what they do, you have a limited time to do it. If you have dreams and aspirations, you have a limited time in which to, do, to bring them into fruition. Solomon goes on to say in Ecclesiastes that if you establish something, if you have something that's worth passing on, who knows what the person who comes after you will do with it? It may be your own children who ruin your life's work or your principles, maybe your grandchildren or great-grandchildren. The implication um, is that there's nothing to be gained or nothing much to be gained of all the toil at which we toil under the sun. In chapter 2, he even goes on to test this assumption. He says, I will test by pleasure. And so, as I said before, there are numerous things he does. You know, he had um, 300 concubines, okay, which is basically women who he slept with. He has 700 wives who are basically women who he slept with. And he had building projects never seen before. He was like a, a record breaker, a history maker, visionary. You know, there was, there was a time of prosperity which wasn't seen in um, Israel before him. 
and wasn't seen after, actually. He had male and female servants. You know, These people born into his house, um, even though they would have seen prosperity outside, actually their lives were changed by being in the king's court. And who knew what opportunity they would have you know, and their family would have. He does all these things. He, said, he even says that he withheld no pleasure from his heart. He had a good time. And at the end of it all, he doesn't say, ah, oh, that was all rubbish. Solomon enjoyed himself very much. But what he says is, upon reflection, I didn't gain anything from it. There was nothing I took away from this. And if we look at Ecclesiastes in chapter three, sorry, 2 and 3 and 5, there's this question of gain. This question of gain. Ultimately, what do, I, what do I gain? Even when I'm enjoying myself, what's the lasting gain? What do I take away? So he's saying that ultimately, there's a problem with satisfaction. We all have desires and we're seeking to fulfill those desires. And it may be that we're unable to fulfill those desires. So it may be that you are at a job and essentially you're a cog, you're a cog in the machinery. You know, your function might be indispensable, but you're not. You're replaceable. Don't think you're irreplaceable, like Beyonce said. So that was cheap. Okay. Um, but essentially, when, when you go, no one's really going to remember you or care. Okay? When it, it, it may be that actually you do fulfill your desires, but once you've fulfilled them, you're like, oh, okay. What's next? What do I do next? I've, I've done that. And we'll come on to that later, a little later. So what he's saying essentially is that the problem with life is that we're not satisfied. And we all feel this. We all feel this. I don't want life to be this way. And then he goes on to talk about the problem or the paradox of order. He says... The sun rises, and sorry, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes to the north. Round and round goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. So, we see this picture of, of order and routine. And we recognise that order and routine hold the world together. Without order and routine, there'd be chaos. So imagine you woke up next week and it was night. There was no sun. The whole week there was night. It would plunge the world into chaos, you know, let alone... Just the minor things, trivial things. If you went to work and people decided that they were going to sit in different places, there'd, there'd be fights. <laughs> or 
if people decided that actually I'm not going to go to the job that I do, you know, if, for example, doctors decided that actually we want to deliver the mail today, you know, without order, without routine, things are an issue. But what Solomon's trying to highlight also is that there's a paradox because order and routine trap us in boredom. So Monday, people say, oh, gosh, it's Monday again. I hate Mondays, you know, and whether child or adult alike. You know, if you're a child, you go to school, you go to class, and it's like, okay, maths, uh, and then I've got PE, uh, and then I've got... And it's the same thing again and again and again. You go to work, it's the same people, they make the same jokes. You're sick of those jokes. Ah, <laughs> oh, goodness. It's the, same, it's the same route, it's the same people you see in route, the same people listening to the same music and being rude in the same way, pushing onto the um, train. And it's, it's so wearisome, it's tiring. And he says, and he says this in um, verse 8, all things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Excuse me. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has, already been, um, it has been already in the age before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. And so, looking at verse 8, he's saying, look, this is, this is wearying. It's not just boring, it, it wears us down. You know, it like right now, my bones, like I, I might look young. <laughs> right now, my bones, oh my goodness, wear and tear. And life is like that. It's like that on our spirits. It's like that mentally and emotionally. It's wearying and it's draining. And I know there's, you know, we all know what that's like. We all know what that's like. And he's saying... Part of the problem is that we're just going through this life that's a, a circuit. It's like a conveyor belt. We're just going round and round on the, on the same thing. And that meaning, that purpose that we're hoping to connect with, those people that we're hoping to be able to connect with, it's not happening. I spoke earlier about parents, you know. As much as you want to love your parents, they get on your nerves, right? As much as you want to love your children, they're disobedient, right? As much as you want to connect with your friends, maybe they don't have time for you when you have time for them, maybe it's vice versa. We struggle to connect with life. You know, there, there is this sense, and I think you see it in even popular culture, like the Matrix, you know, there's this sense that there's a life beyond life. You know, we're not connecting with it. So, <clears throat> he says, is there, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It's been already. And he's not saying like, oh, okay, well, there's nothing that's new or novel. So, for example, I'm sure there weren't um, Samsung phones or TVs in Solomon's day. You know? And I'm sure that um, other technology has moved on greatly. But what he's saying is that, Actually, though the medium through which 
we do things changes, the nature doesn't. So we have a TV or a stereo, and yet we're, we're seeking entertainment. We might be seeking comfort. We might be seeking, um, <coughs> um, I don't know, fulfillment, some kind of thrill. And yet, in Solomon's day, they did the same. The mediums were different, but their aim was the same. <coughs> and he says, there's no remembrance of former things. Nor would there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who came after. And I was thinking, it's so true, you know. There are, so, there are a few people, there are a few Shakespeare's, you know. Um, but for the majority of us, actually, all the things we do, not the trivial things, the, the tears we cry, the sacrifices we make, you know, even the bravery of people who died in World War II, these things, they get obscured. You know, I, I, I wonder, I wonder if the generation after us and the generation after them would truly be able to understand what it means to have to face the threat of someone like Hitler and decide that actually I'm going to go to war and I may not come back. And it's important that I go. Um, you know, there, there will be no remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after and it's a, it's a picture of life that I think we can, we, can all, we can all understand, we all feel. You know, it is, it is wearying, you know. And the issue is gain, essentially. We desire life to be a certain way, and it's not. It's just not. And, um, you know, in preparing this, you know, I spoke with... Um, a few people and it's quite like ah oh, Ben you know what um, yes it's, it's, a, it's an issue that needs to be touched on but it's a bit depressing man <laughs> like you're highlighting all these problems and all of these issues but what's the answer um, and so I want to take us first back up to verse 3 where he, he raises the question of what does a man gain by all his toil? How, you know, how do we gain? And I want to take us first to um, 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'll find it myself. Let's start from verse 7. Oh no, sorry, six rather. <clears throat> it says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Notice that. There's great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. 
So, Paul's saying to Timothy, essentially, there's a problem with the things we desire. Now, he highlights the love of money, but actually it can be anything that displaces God. So, earlier, Neil was um, reading from Psalm, was it 24? And he prayed, <coughs> he prayed that we wouldn't be idolatrous. He prayed that we wouldn't replace God. And I think often we can look at things and say, oh, that's an idol. We can identify our idols. And we're, we're, we're quite astute in that way. And so we say, okay, well, that's an idol. I'll put it to the side and I'll worship God. But I think, actually, we need to get to the root, which is our desires, our idolatrous desires. You know, quite often, we don't look at what is causing us to be idolaters, which is our hearts. You know, what do we desire? So, um, my wife and I (laughs) have been planning this week, and we've been looking at where we are, and where we want to be. You know, and part of that is looking at our relationship with God. You know? And there's something you you see how inconsistent you can be as a human being when you begin to examine your heart. You know? So part of the process is to say what your envisioned future is, but what your current reality is also. So, you know, your envisioned future as a Christian. I'll let you work out what that is. But then also, when you look at your current reality, when you examine your heart before God, you find often that the things you desire, um, the things you want, are not, they're, not, um, they're not parallel with what Christ desires or wants for you. You know? Even the, your values, your ways about going, going about things, they're not consistent with what Christ desires for you. And I guarantee you that if you, are, if you do not hold up a magnifying glass to your desires in an honest way, in an honest way, so that you can look and say, actually, Lord, do you know what? Like Solomon, I do desire to sleep with a thousand women. Or, you know, I, I do, I desire these things. You know, I desire to, um, to be the best, no matter what the cost. I desire to fit in. It doesn't, even if it, I compromise um, your values. If we're not honest and hold up, hold up a magnifying glass to our desires and to our life, we will continue to behave in ways that are not consistent with our faith. And as Christians who have been redeemed... We will be unhappy. We will be weary. We will be joyless. He goes on um, to say in verse 10 again. Is there a thing of which it is said, see this is new? And again, as I said, it's a claim that there's nothing unique. There's nothing unique. And... The fact is, there is one thing 
of which we can say, before this, there was nothing like it. And after this, there's been nothing like it. And that was the fact that God came as a man into human history, lived a perfect life, and died a perfect death to reconcile us, all those who would come, to Father God. Now, I was listening to Tim in worship today and I was so blessed and I thought, do you know what? We have a choice. We have a choice to believe in ourselves or we have a choice to believe in Christ. If you're a sinner here today, you have the choice to believe that you're not good enough or that you can solve issues by yourself or you have the choice to believe that Christ in his perfection did it, that he absolved you of all your sin, that he made it possible for you to have human connections. You have the opportunity right now to spend some time with your brother and love him or her. We have this, we have this opportunity to have marriages and relationships that work. We have this opportunity to honour God in our work. We have the opportunity to be joyful. When I hear of the tragedy of the cross in, in all its um, pain and anguish and all the suffering that Christ, um, that he endured, I rejoice. I rejoice because that's a victory. That's a victory. He, he chose to lay down his life and no one took it from him. What I want us to do, what I challenge all of, all of you to do, myself included, as you know, I've been doing it, is to go away this week <clears throat> and in a determined fashion, whether with your spouse or with your friends, whether in community group, but in an in, in, uh, intense and um, intentional way, is to write down your envisioned future. Write down your desires and write down your current reality. Examine your hearts, but in a, in a formal way, not in a formal way, and, and speak to your prayer partners about it. Read the word concerning it. Um, last of all, in Matthew 11. Jesus addresses this weariness. In verse 28, he says, Come to me, all who labour, those are the weary, and the heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, that list in Timothy is not a list that we can, it's not characteristics that we can generate in and of ourselves. It's th these are the characteristics of Jesus. Only Jesus is righteous, truly gentle in all circumstances and steadfast. And what we need to do is come to him as Lord of our lives, giving up those desires that are incompatible with a faith in him.
for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. <clears throat> I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you that Jesus Christ is the answer. Lord, I thank you that he reconciles us to you. I thank you that he reconciles us to each other, Lord. And I pray that we would take the opportunity to examine our hearts and examine what we seek, examine what we pursue, Lord God. I pray that we would see that there's lasting gain in seeking after your kingdom and the things that matter to you. Father God, I thank you that Christ has afforded us this opportunity. Lord God, let all things be done for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.